Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who've decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 10, Resistance Media Collective. Welcome to Mobilize. I'm Ashley, a sound editor and a new part of the Mobilize team. I'm super excited to bring you this episode where Catherine Jones talks to Corey about her experiences co-founding the Resistance Media Collective. Catherine shows us how to combine our creative selves with our political passions. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. I'm Catherine Jones. November 8th was a day that literally changed not just our world, but much to my surprise, my life. I have been leading and am now co-leading a group called the Resistance Media Collective. And we are a group of what has been up till now all volunteer professional media creatives. So we are videographers and filmmakers and music editors and sound designers and animators and graphic designers and copywriters, all sorts of professional creatives who are dedicated to amplifying the voice of the resistance. First of all, thank you so much for coming in. Before the Resistance Media Collective, what were you doing professionally? So I own a company. It's called Virtual Arts TV, and we are a multi-camera live streaming company. We do video in general, but our specialty is multi-cam live streaming. We specialize in the performing arts, and we've done tons and tons of music, dance, and theater. We also have been evolving lately into a lot of brands, a lot of music singers, Alicia Keys, the Dresden Dolls, stuff like that. So why the Resistance Media Collective? Why did you decide to form it? What was going on at that time? I had no plans. It just happened. So the week after the election, a friend of mine sent me an email about a friend of hers who I did not know who he was. His name was Bo Williman. She said he was a screenwriter. She's a screenwriter. Didn't think much about it. That he also had a lot of experience in politics. And he was getting people together to create the action group. Didn't know what it was. But I thought, okay, I'm going to go. I always tell people this story. You know, I'm filled with rage and I'm devastated for lots and lots of reasons. And I'm walking down 4th Street or something in Gowanus. And all of a sudden I'm seeing hordes and hordes of people descend upon this building. And for just like a moment, some of the rage and some of the despair kind of lifted from my shoulders. And I walk into this room and it's filled with people. This lovely man, Bo Williman, launched the action groups that day. And the idea for that then was to be just a way for grassroots organizations to rise up and start to organize in the way that Republicans have been organizing for 60 years. And so I had no expectations going into this meeting. But as everybody's like talking and raising their hands and saying they're going to run the immigration group or the abortion group or whatever, I thought, well, I do media. So I raised my hand and said, well, if you guys are going to do that, we need a media group. And quite honestly, I all of a sudden was surrounded by about 40 people and went, oh, my God. Well, I guess it is time to rise to this occasion. And we set up a meeting for a week and a half later. Our first meeting was November 19th. And we have been meeting every week since then, completely dedicated to amplifying the voices of 
those of us who want to see a much more progressive, liberal United States of America. Like the Republicans have been doing for 60 years. What do you mean by that? So you might have to correct me on my math because really in many ways I'm parroting stuff I've already heard because, and I want to be super clear about this, I grew up in D.C., so politically aware not politically active. But the story that I keep hearing is that one of the things that Republicans have understood is local politics and organizing on a local level. And I don't know by what numbers Democrats outnumber Republicans in this country, but it's significant. Republicans have understood that you begin local and have slowly been building this movement. And some of what we've seen in this past election is a result of those years and years and years of focus on the small. So you mentioned you grew up in D.C., so you were very politically aware but you've never been politically active until now. What made you become politically active? Um, This election. My big thought on that night was how much this country hates women and how racist this country is. I've been in New York a long time. I've always considered myself really a New Yorker before I've considered myself an American until that election. And that election made it so crystal clear to me that the things that I take for granted about being American, so therefore think I'm a New Yorker, are the things that inherently make me a New Yorker. The, you know, things like freedom of speech and equality and the things that I think are deeply, deeply at threat, that those are things that are inherent to the United States of America that make New York a great place to live rather than the other way around. How is Resistance Media Collective helping you focus? What issues are on your personal radar? Immigration, healthcare, women's issues in general. I don't know if you call that women's rights. I don't know if you call it feminism. Basic you know, human decency. Basic human decency. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff coming at us right now. And um, honestly, some of it is just still a reactionary response to the rage I feel at the people who have taken over our country. So, I mean, that's pretty issue agnostic and perhaps one of the reasons why we kind of built this to be issue agnostic. But that said, one of the things that I'm very um, inspired by is Ezra Levine of um, Indivisible. I've seen him speak twice about the fact that this is not the time if you are an abortion person huge issue for me, because that to me is a civil rights issue. But if you are an abortion person, this is also the time for you to come out for gun control. And this is also the time for you to come out for immigration rights, because this is the time for liberals, progressives, however you identify yourself to come out as a whole, as a strong, unified group. So um, he said that. And I thought, well, A, that's look at all the marches. That's what, that's what we're doing. And I've worked on the tax march. I've worked on the women's march. I've worked on a lot of marches, happily. But to me, it also feels like there's a lot of issues that like abortion has always been a huge issue for me as a woman, A, as a woman, but B, as a human being. So was gay marriage. To me, they were basic, basic civil rights issues that mattered tremendously to me, because to me, that is what being an American is about. It's about basic civil rights. Um, but every issue feels important to me to some degree. That said, I'm I'm more of a God, don't hate me, Bernie people, whom I love. I love Bernie and I love Bernie people. And I'm a little bit more of a middle of the road uh Liberal. Particularly on the issues of addressing injustice against women, injustice against minorities, uh, and, uh, on, on race. How does the Resistance Media Collective actually work? Lots of ways. People hear about us, so call us because they have a project. Like, we're working on a project right now that... Um I'm really excited about this particular organization happened to see another one of our videos and they were about to make a video and they're like, oh, we want that. So they called us. You know, we are an issue agnostic group. We will work on whatever comes to us. If someone comes to us and it is a project that we're interested in, we will work on it. We've done reach outs to lots of organizations to say we're here if you need us. Some of them have gotten back to us. Some of them have partnered with us. We get referrals. People get referred to us a lot. And I like to say that our phone use that as a metaphor, doesn't stop ringing. It just doesn't stop ringing. So how do you choose who you reach out to? Oh, that's a good question. 
I don't know that I have an answer to you. When, you know, the, when we first began, there were lots of action groups around the country. And since we were an action group and we were a media action group, one of the first things we did is reach out to other action groups and say, hey, immigration group in Santa Cruz, California, we are here to help you. So that was one of the ways that we did. There's other ways, too. If there is an organization that one of our members is interested in, they reach out to them. It doesn't always come from me or my co-leaders. Sometimes it comes from the group. A lot of times people just talk about how their professional lives are so different than their activist lives because in their professional lives, things are extremely hierarchical. And in their activist lives, they find themselves in these new systems where decisions are being made via consensus or at least majority vote most of the time. Is that how your organization works? Or is it because coming from a media background, which is a very hierarchical business, I wonder, have you made a switch in decision making or have you turned the activist model on its head and and gone something more hierarchical? We're a combination. We're modeled after a group called Progressive Coders, which is a really, really inspiring group of people run by a guy named Rappi Castillo. They're over a thousand people. They're based in Slack, as are we. And they are a very flat organization. They are our inspiration. We have discovered that with creatives, flat doesn't work so much. We will make decisions. I will make decisions. My co-leader, Jeff, will make decisions about projects like the Universal Healthcare Action Blitz, which perhaps we'll talk about, is something I decided we were doing. And, you know, no one ever has to work on anything. But to me, it felt like something that was right for our group, for our future, for our mission. And that said, people will come to me with projects all the time and I will bring them to the group and no one wants to work on them. And if it's not something that I want to work on and no one else wants to work on, we just don't work on it. So we try to be as flat as possible, but quite honestly, a lot of our projects would not happen if there weren't me or somebody else project managing and project managing with some level of leadership attached to that. And you keep on saying flatter. What do you mean by flatter? Non-hierarchical. I mean, we're never going to be non-hierarchical. It just doesn't work for us. But the more our team takes on projects and the more I'm in a support position rather than a leadership position on everything, the better it is for our team as a whole. And and why is the goal to become more flat or, or less hierarchical? Initially, it was because I wanted this to take as little time as possible. Honestly, when I first started this, I wanted this to take two hours a week like because I had a business. So that's changed a little bit. And perhaps my idea about hierarchy will change with that. But I also think... I keep talking about this one project that popped up yesterday, but it makes me incredibly happy to see this one member who's been active really get underneath a project because it serves everybody. I get to like assist this person in a passion project of theirs. So this person isn't alone. This person wants to move something forward and they're not alone. And for those of us who are creatives, being alone on a project is no fun. And I've been there a million thousand times. So that feels good to enable someone to like see a project that means a lot to them to bring it to fruition. But it also means, you know, we're kind of ambitious about this group. We, we care about each other as people and as creatives a lot. And we are really looking to move it in a number of different directions. And the more people who feel like it's their home, it's their creative home and it's their activist home, the stronger we're going to grow as a whole. So that's pretty interesting. So it sounds like to me, projects or project proposals will come to the group and anyone in the group can say, I want to lead this. And if they say that, then the other people in the group kind of assist in that person in their endeavor. Is that is that a good way of describing Theoretically, it? Theoretically, yes. In fact, we have a project right now that's exactly, it's a big one. This woman got extremely, extremely energized about a healthcare issue that is moving fast. And we've all just jumped on board to help her. And we're building logos and building websites and helping her get it done. And how do the resources work? You know, I understand you're a collective and you all have different skills and whatever. When you meet once a week, 
Mm-hmm. Are they working meetings? Are they planning meetings? Is it mainly organizational? A combination of both. Like tonight, it's Tuesday. We meet on Tuesdays. Tonight is a working meeting. We've asked people to bring their laptops. We have a lot of work to complete. An editor for a project is going to meet me there so that we can edit. Like tonight is a working meeting. Some of our meetings are really admin focused. And I have to say meetings for us remain a conundrum. It's hard to get people together. People don't necessarily want to get together. But at the same time, one of the strengths of RMC is our relationships. And those relationships are built by seeing each other face to face. So now we're, I don't know, what is this, nine months into it? Meetings are something that I struggle with every week. Like do we have one? What do we do during that meeting? Is it going to be worth people's while? Are they going to want to come back? Is it serving my group? Is it serving RMC? I think about those things all the time. So it's always in flux. Have you found that your campaigns have been addressing issues in an intersectional way or have they really been single issue focused? Some people would say that Nothing is single issue focused in today's day and age. But that said, I would say they are mostly single focused because we are mostly approached by groups that are single focused. Like we have a video coming out in the edit room right now for a campaign called Sanctuary Homes, which is not a campaign you've probably heard about, but it is a campaign specifically aimed at people who employ domestic workers. But it's also about human rights and it's also about coming together. So I guess intersectional in that way, but it's pretty, pretty narrowly focused. And generally, some of our immigration Projects have been very, very specific. So um, getting very specific on the project that I met you at, the Universal Healthcare Blitz, can you explain a little bit about what that project was? How did it start? What issues are you trying to move? What's the state of those, et cetera? I had this idea and I wanted to create creative hackathons. So the same idea as as a tech hackathon, but a creative hackathon. And I just reached out to Rappi from Progressive Coders on Slack on a Sunday. I was like, what do you think about like doing a combined coders and creatives hackathon for universal healthcare? By Monday morning, he's like, yes, let's do it. By Thursday, we had a three-hour organizational meeting. We had partners that included PNHP, which is Physicians for National Healthcare Project, Healthcare Now, Nurses Associations, et cetera, et cetera. And we began to plan a really intense nine-hour day that was going to happen three weeks later during um, a healthcare week in New, York, in New York State. It was a conglomeration of Resistance Media Collective and Rappi Castillo, who is of Progressive Coders, but kind of independent of that, and Civic Hall, who was our host, and DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, Socialist Feminist Working Group, and OnStack, and a bunch of other organizations. So that's how it began. It kind of was a seed that I planted, but it was a seed that I planted with the right people who took it and ran. And I kept saying to my team, like, I'm stunned and amazed, but I'm just blown away. I feel like I've found, I keep saying I've found my people. I've found my people, my people who work incredibly hard and care about things that matter to me. So that's how that happened. We are actually starting a separate organization in Action Blitz. We have a website now, actionblitz.org. We intend to uh, follow up this particular Action Blitz with Action Blitz for lots of other organizations. And so this particular one was universal healthcare in New York State specifically. That said, every asset we created, and on that day we created about 130 assets, which included Uh, three different embeddable technology projects that the healthcare organizations had asked for, 50 men on the street interviews, video interviews for OnStack so that they're kind of um, video petitions, and then 360 degree social media assets in support of universal healthcare. Also videos with people's stories that will in and of themselves also be turned into 360 degree social media stories. And And the idea is that progressive organizations can reach out to RMC, can reach out to Action Blitz and say, hey, we need help can you help us? Yeah. And then you will provide assets for these organizations. Yeah. Can you point to any places where you feel like the Resistance Media Collective has helped move the needle on an issue? Hard to do, but I can tell you this. 
We've had some projects that I love that I can't tell you what the numbers are because they're graphics. And there's no way to track graphics. You can't put a pixel code in a, in a graphic on Facebook. But some of our videos have been seen by tens of thousands, if not millions of people. There's two that I can speak to. One is our May Day action, call to action video, which we created for Casa in Action, which was the sponsor of the D.C. Immigration March. But we also repurposed for two other organizations. One was Rise Up and one was Make the Road New York. Got not hundreds of thousands of views. I don't remember the exact number. So hard to say. Did it actually bring someone to a march? I sure hope that it did. And with all those views, it certainly, certainly spread the word of the May Day action. And a video that I did that I'm very proud of and it kind of brings to mind. Um, well, so my background is live streaming. So Women's March Day, there were 700 sister marches around the country. And for these sister marches, I did kind of hardware software hack because I had this idea to like, well, I know they're doing a big, fancy, probably half a million dollar live stream of the Women's March from Washington, D.C. But what about all these other marches around the world that should be on the Women's March page as well in one single stream? So I did this hardware software hack where we had people with their cell phones stream into us to a conference app that I then brought into my live streaming equipment as a camera so that I was streaming them with lower thirds and switching graphics when I needed to switch graphics. Basically, it was as if it was a camera and then we had a number of other computers as cameras as inputs. So we did a 12-hour live stream that showcased sister marches from around the world. We were we started at six in the morning and ended at six at night. And we were literally jumping from Lima, Peru to Oaxaca, Mexico, to Barcelona, to Reykjavik, to Phoenix. And we reached millions and millions of people. So that's exciting. But the thing that matters to me most is someone came up to me and um, she'd been on the bus on the way to D.C., and they they're you know on Facebook and all of a sudden what pops up is their sisters in Barcelona marching like before they even started and to me that's like the most exciting thing. So that seems like an incredible incredible uh, project. How many people were involved in making that happen? Oh, very few. I mean, I say very few. The Sister March organization, spectacular, so organized. There were a few people I was interfacing with there. One woman, Cece Hall, who helped me organize the Sister Marches from around the world. And then, honestly, it was me in my six by six foot office, all rigged up with computers and wires running this. And then I had helpers from RMC. Jeff Miles came and helped me. Camille Gregoire came and helped me. Lindsay Behrens came and helped me. So I needed another hand. So I had somebody else actually acting as a switcher on the conference app. So because I needed the conference app to be switched. So I was running the switcher, the big switcher, but they were running the switcher on the conference app and communicating with our um, with our marchers. So it was it was very, it was very, very small. And they just dialed into you using their cell phones. How? So we used a conferencing app called Blue Jeans, which let them dial in via video through the conferencing app. Was it perfect? No. I mean, the budget for this was $50. That's what we spent on this. $50 and pizza for my team. So the budget was tiny. So if people want to do live streaming themselves, like something similar, it would only cost them $50 in pizza or would they have to have a lot of crazy equipment? I think more knowledge and creativity. And I have some pretty fancy equipment. You don't necessarily have to have that. So you've been really active and you said something earlier that really, um, you know, like I found my people. And I think that's a very fortunate thing to have happened for you because there are a lot of people still looking to find their people and to find, you know, we are very fortunate. We're in a very progressive city right now, but there's a lot of people who are in areas that are where many of the people, if not most of the people around them, do not agree with them. Um, they feel isolated. 
they've got just as much frustration and rage as we do, but they don't have as much of an outlet. And I want to know, what kind of advice do you give to somebody who's in that sort of situation? How do they find their people? There are indivisible groups around the country. Find your local indivisible group. They're everywhere. And if you have a hard time finding that group, go to indivisibleguide.com is their website right now because there are groups around the country and they're very, very active and successful in terms of creating active groups of communities. Why would you point to indivisible versus action group networks? Well, bigger. That said, action group networks is also all over the country. They are in L.A., they're in Chicago, they're in Boston, and they are growing. They are changing their focus a little bit to be more of a facilitator between groups than a creator of groups because it's my understanding that they've kind of discovered a lot of groups exist already. And so maybe it's not best to create new groups, but to facilitate groups. See if there's something in your state. And if there's not, email them and let them know that you want something in your city or your state. For the people who feel very overwhelmed by all these different groups, how did you focus personally? Find what you want to do. Like, you know, a lot of people who are media creatives don't want to do this work for their activist work. They want to march. They want to do different things. Like, find what you want to do. Do you want to sing? Then there are choruses. There are activist choruses you can join. Do you want to march? Then I would join Arise and Resist. If you want to go to town halls and really get involved in policy, join Indivisible. If you really want to swing a district, join Swing Left. Just think about what it is you want to do, what kind of leadership you want to take on if you want to take on leadership. I knew that what I wanted to do was create media. That's what I wanted to do. So that's why I created this. And, you know, the people who came to us, that's what they want to do, too. And what do you hope um, for the future of Resistance Media Collective, Action Blitz? Like, what's your hope? That they become self-sustaining. And um, that can mean many things. For Resistance Media, we're looking at a couple different models. We have found that some of our clients have now come to us with paying jobs, which is great because we can both pay our artists and maybe also begin to create some funds for our organization. We'll see where we grow. We're really, we're really, really passionate about this. And we come at this work from a really different angle, from a grassroots angle, but with professional skills. For both Action Blitz and for Resistance Media, it is my hope that they become self-sustaining in and of themselves, that they begin to sustain the artists who are supporting them and perhaps also begin to sustain those of us who are spending 250,000 hours a week making them happen. How do you become self-sustaining without losing your grassroots? We, we totally lose our currency if we lose our grassroots. Like that is our currency and that's what makes us special. Part of that is maintaining pro bono work. Part of that is maintaining the passion and drive. Like we could just be like, fuck this. I'm going after like BMW, like forget, move on or swing left. I want BMW. We could. I mean, it's the same skill sets. But I'll say this. I chose a life in the arts. You don't choose a life in the arts to get rich and famous. Well, you might, but that's not like 10 years into it. That's no longer what it's about. It's about doing the work. And I love that work. It means a lot to me to be working on projects that have nothing to do with me. That's not navel gazing in any creative way. That's really about something bigger than me, about people I don't know and about change for something that is bigger than me that I didn't even know mattered to me so much. That is the key to doing exactly what you're talking about, because, again, it's like our grassroots sensibility. That's our strength. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming in. Where do you hope to see this resistance movement going? Do you even like the term resistance movement? And just like, where do you hope that people like you and me around the country who are not politicians, who 
are just so desperately hungry for positive change. What do you hope happens in the next year, very broadly? Well, you brought up something immediately, which is the word resistance, which is the word we've all been clinging to for a long time and is actually a word that I think we need to change. And we've actually talked about changing our name because it might be time to switch from resistance to actually start talking about what we stand for instead of what we resist. And I hope two things, that we all stay as activated as we have become. You know, we a lot of us had a huge surprise on November 8th. And I have this idea that it might be one of the best things that ever happened to our country if it is something that we can sustain, if we can keep people like you and me who are just going along with our lives actively involved in not just federal government, but in state and local government. That is a change for the better. So I would love to see that be a permanent change in perhaps not the country, because I think the Republicans already understood that, but in the more left part of our country, the more progressive, more liberal citizens of this United States of America. It is my hope that we all start as a movement, start to fight more about what we stand for than what we're against. Thank you for listening to Mobilize. Be sure to check out Resistance Media Collective at www.resistancemedia.net and subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Mobilize.